and welcome to the Christian Formation Podcast. I'm Raven, and I'm here with Andrew, one of our pastors at Providence Church. The goal of this podcast is to form disciples to live all of life with the presence of God. And we do this through conversations about theology, culture, and stories. Today, we're discussing the book, Jesus, Lover of My Soul. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Andrew and I don't have a food we're trying today. No one's brought us anything yet. It's very sad. I know, but maybe on the next one. Probably. Yeah. We have some pretty faithful listeners. We honestly I can do. almost guarantee it that somebody will. Yeah. Or at least make a joke about it. Right. Exactly. They'll definitely probably no, make I a think joke about will it. Bring something. Has anyone given you a new podcast topic idea lately? A lot of times people will comment on our like Only beginning you. part. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Some people will give topics every now and again. Is yeah, that bad that we get more comments on the actual like banter than we do like new podcast topic ideas? I mean, it is a little disappointing. I'm not disappointing. I think we've talked about this yeah. before. <laughs> I uh, No, I think it's great. People yeah. just, well, probably not everybody. I bet there's some people that fast forward this section. Oh, I bet you're Don't right. You think? Yeah, probably. So people are like, I don't care. I just want to know about this topic that you're talking about. Yeah, but we're so winsome and charming. I bet they want <laughs> oh to hear gosh. it. That's true. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Do I just shock you sometimes with the things I say? You're like, I was not, not expecting Not often. That. that one did. I was not expecting <laughs> you to say how great we were at this. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, th- I haven't gotten one recently of topic, I don't think. We don't have a set plan for next season yet, do we? No, we don't. I wonder what we'll end up doing. It feels like for a long time. I mean, all of last year we did the Bible stuff. Yep. And then before that, it feels like we we did some like bigger series. So this one, well, I guess we did some of our spiritual formation stuff at the beginning, but now it's just more different topics or random ones. So yeah. I wonder what next spring will be. Which I love. I like the like fun, random topics, but then also the things that line up with our sermon series. I think that's fun to think yeah. through. So yeah, we'll see what next semester will be. I know, it's exciting. Are we going to take a break over Christmas? No. Yeah, we'll just keep I mean, people going. have time off. They need something to listen to, True. right? People so, are just begging to hear this banter more through the Christmas season. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Do you think anybody will bring us like Christmas treats for the podcasts over the holidays? Since we're just oh, laboring point. to do podcast episodes through the holiday season. I will say we have one or two members that do bring our staff team treats yeah, every kind of holiday, like Christmas or the beginning of the fall with everything and all the craziness. And that is so sweet. So if someone started People doing that so for kind. us, that'd be great. I know. Wow. I wonder how many times we'll have to passively aggressively <laughs> say it. I know. It's it. probably just going to solidify the fact that they shouldn't do that for us. That's true. Keep yeah. us humble. I yes. mean, it sounds like you're thinking highly of us in this no, episode. No, 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 guys. So. I'm just kidding. I'm joking around, yeah, being lighthearted. That's just my role here. Anyway, okay. Today, we're talking about Jesus, lover of my soul. And I'll try and keep it serious for this, even though I could be just as jokey. <laughs> no, it's great. When I heard the title of this book, Andrew, I was kind of like, what are you talking about? I don't get this. So did you feel that when you heard about this book? <laughs> I don't remember where I first got recommended this book. I think I saw somebody do a review on it or something. And then I looked at it and I liked the cover, yeah, which was kind of cool. Yeah, the really cool. It has all of this. What is that? Well, they're birds and flowers, which doesn't sound that cool when no, I say it. it. But just the, the coloring on it and the design of it, I just think is really cool. And then how the letters are in it. Yeah. And it's cool too, because it's, 
illustrated, so it's very detailed. The birds aren't just like these gimmicky yeah. looking birds, but no, it's a cool little cover. Yeah. So between a review and the cover, I said I got to read this book, and probably more so because the topic of this of Jesus being the lover of my soul. I think I just saw that and didn't. I don't naturally think of Jesus that way. And what the author Julian Hardiman does is he goes through the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon, however you say it. And he talks about how that points to our relationship with Jesus and the nature of who Jesus is. And so it was just intriguing to me and the cover looked good and the review was good. And so I picked it up and decided to read it. Yeah. When you first brought that up and you told me what it was about and how it was connected to Song of Songs, I was a little bit confused, but also intrigued because when I think about Jesus, my primary view of him is my savior, my friend, my brother. And I feel like even more so is my friend more than anything. So to think of Jesus as more of an intimate lover of our souls feels strange because that's not what friends do necessarily. Well, your friend could love your soul. True. I mean, we would naturally yeah, think of a spouse right. for sure exactly. who like most intimately loves us. Yes. But I think of a deep, genuine, like real friendship. The lover of the soul language is just unique to us. Like, we don't talk like that really. And so I think it sounds more foreign and yeah. probably weird than it is meant to or than it like truly is. Because I think it's just saying like, you know, your soul, we talked about this within Dallas Willard's renovation of the heart of the soul being the wholeness of who we are, like all the different makeups, you know, forming us as a human being. And so I think that's what it's saying. Like that there's someone who loves you, like the Mm -hmm. fullness of who you are, which I think can be broadened out. We just don't think about that. And honestly, most of us don't have that many friendships that are that deep and genuine, Yeah, which is probably a whole nother thing. Yeah, truly. Well, I mean, it makes me think about David and Jonathan in the Bible. It talks about just the deep, deep friendship that they have. And I think David even says like, your love is better than the love from a woman or something like that, because they just had such a deep friendship with one another. And so I think when I think about friendship in that vein, yeah, I think that makes sense with Christ. But when I think of Song of Songs, I primarily just think of spouses. Yes, which is true and accurate about the book. The Song of Songs is about a relationship. There's a lot of dispute or disagreement on, is this a married couple? Is it a couple that's trying or like moving towards marriage and they're in this relationship? However you say that, it's a man and a woman who are engaged in an intimate relationship. So much of the book is about like physical intimacy, but there's also elements of desires and emotional connection and wanting one another. And so the book really Mm -hmm. is about a marriage or relationship like that, that is deep and intimate. And it's going through all the different facets of what that relationship looks like. So then is it accurate for this author to then say, hey, this is actually describing our relationship with Jesus? Many people have disputed that. Uh, I think it was Charles Spurgeon or someone who said, that's like the whole point of the book is to Hmm. get Jews back then to see their Messiah as their great husband. Now that I don't think is totally wrong. Okay. I think we can overemphasize that and miss the fact that in Jewish literature, this can just be giving this poem, this song about the love of a man and a woman, like to be intimate together. So I think that's true. And that that is good. Mm -hmm. However, 
Some people would argue, yes, that's that's all it's about. It's just about this love story and the song that's coming out of that. But I do think if we say that all of the Old Testament points us to Jesus, all of the Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus, and we get this from different verses that Jesus himself said, John 5, 39, he's talking to the Pharisees saying, you're looking at the scriptures, which for them is just the Old Testament. says, you're looking at the scriptures to find life there but you miss that they all point to me. Hmm. So if that's true of Psalms and that's true of Isaiah and that's true of Genesis, then would that not be true of Song of Songs? That there's something here Hmm. that Jesus says points to him. In Luke 24, it's after Jesus's resurrection and it's on the road to Emmaus where he's talking to his disciples. And in verse 27, it says that he's telling them how all of the law, the prophets and the Psalms or the writings, which this is included in that, how they all point to him and were concerning his uh, work that he was doing. So I think as much as we would say any other Old Testament text points us to Jesus, this one has to as well. So I wouldn't go so far to say that's the only point where some people would go to, but I also wouldn't want to say that it doesn't point us to Jesus. So there's got to be something in the intimacy of marriage that points us to Christ and his bride which again, I think we also have examples of. One, in the Old Testament, God calls himself the groom of Israel, that they are his bride. Most often he's saying they're an adulterous bride, but he's giving that example already. And then in Ephesians 5, Paul says that marriage is built after the image of Christ and the church, who is his bride. So again, when we look at Song of Songs, it can feel weird to think, ah, is this really about Jesus? But from Jesus' own lips and the analogy of God loving a people and being so intimate with the people, it's as if he's a groom and we're the bride. I don't think this is actually out of bounds to say, yeah, Jesus has come to be the great groom of the church. And so this book can hint to and point us to that reality without having to take it so far where every single word or image used, we have to make some connection. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying that. Let's not go that far. But let's take the intimacy of a loving relationship and two people that desire each other. And let's see, how does that point us to Jesus? Yeah, that's good. I think that's a helpful distinction that not everything in Song of Songs needs to be taken at a, okay, if this is all about Jesus, then this little tiny image right here means this. Because then it does... I think get a little bit strange and convoluted and confusing. And we can do that with any poetry. You know, we can do that with the Psalms where we would say the Psalms are pointing us to their fulfillment in the Messiah who has come for his people. But if you go through every image and every Psalm and every verse, it's going to get really confusing Mm -hmm. and messy and not the point. Because what poets are doing and songwriters they're giving images to make you experience a greater reality or to understand something in greater ways. So they're giving you colorful language so that that points you to something greater. So even in a marriage and in this book, you have the man and the woman and they're describing their love for each other. All of that stuff is analogies, it's pictures, it's colors of things that are trying to get you to see they desire and love one another. And that is what I think the point of Jesus and his church is. It's not that every little detail has to find a correlation in what Mm -hmm. Jesus does. That's just not how poetry works. That's good. Okay. So to be completely honest, I've spent very little time in song of songs. 
So with that being Most said... Most people probably haven't. I have yeah, not either. Yeah. So then what are some ways in which the author would say, hey, these are some of the themes that I see in Song of Songs that point to Jesus's love for us? Can I ask this first? Who, yeah. Do you think people spend less time in Song of Songs or Revelation? Probably Song of Songs. Song of Songs, yeah. I feel like people don't like Revelation I was going to say, I just talked to someone yesterday who's like, I don't like Revelation, I don't read it. And I so, guess maybe right now, because there's stuff going on in Israel, people might be reading it. What about like oh, Leviticus yeah, or Numbers? For some reason, I feel like that's not as weird for people. Well, it's to not like as weird, but I don't think through. anybody enjoys it. I, don't, I actually kind of like it. Stop. No, I'm serious. I think it's really interesting. But yes, I think that's harder for people. I think very few people read Song of Songs. And if they right. were saying they read it all the time, I think people would be like, you're kind of strange. <laughs> <laughs> right? That is unfortunately probably true. Yeah. Yeah. That is that is true. Okay. <laughs> so in the book, there's a bunch of different things. He just walks through the Song of Songs and he just points out how some of these things are images and pictures. Now, again, just to be a thousand percent clear, I don't think what the author is doing here from Song of Songs is really any different than what Paul is doing when he's looking at marriage and how it functions. And he says, look, all of this is just pointing us to the greater marriage. I think that's what's going on here. It feels different because it's much more graphic and intimate in Song of Songs. So if somebody hasn't read it before, you will be surprised at some of the things in there that that's in the Bible. Like it's legitimately graphic in places and how it talks about marriage and intimacy. So we don't have to, we don't have to go there to where everything is doing that, but the author does point out some themes. So here's a couple. One is in Song of Songs chapter one, It's talking about the insecurity that this relationship feels. Now, again, there's argument on if that's because they aren't married yet and they're moving toward that, if something's going on in the marriage and there's an insecurity that's being felt. So in verse five, the woman says, I'm very dark, but lovely. O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon, do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. And it keeps going. But the theme of what she's saying is there's an insecurity within her about her lover experiencing her. Yeah. Well, later on in chapter four, the guy expresses his love for her physical beauty and all mm. these things that she's insecure about. He expresses that he loves in her. Now, again, we don't have to go to all the specifics, but what yeah. we can get from that is, and what the author did, is just point to man, how often do we have these insecurities in us of like, oh man, I don't want anybody and even Jesus to like really see these thoughts I have, these emotions that I have. I just feel like no one would love me. And then you get to places in the New Testament where it talks about the love of Jesus, how he would die so that he could have us. He came to give us, you know, to make us new and beautiful and clean. And he just points to the fact that all of that in a marriage, when you're insecure about something, your spouse validates that in you and says, I love you through that. He just points to that's what Jesus does on an even greater scale that he knows all the worst parts about you and he still loves you in the midst of that. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. Because when I had read those two verses beforehand, I was like, I have no idea where this is going. So I think that's incredibly helpful and it just paints a bigger picture of Jesus's love. Yeah. Can I give a few more? Mm -hmm. Okay. So another one, he talks about our delight that we have and he points to later on in chapter one, verses 15 and 16, Uh, The guy speaking to the woman says, behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. 
And then she responds, behold, you are beautiful, my beloved, truly delightful, and then gives some more images of that. And again, he points to this like mutual love and delight that they just have in one another. And again, think of your marriage or a close friendship or whatever, and it's just, you just enjoy that person and you love them and you think they're great and you love spending time with them. And there's just a delight that comes out of you for that person. And when they respond with that delight, it just like binds you, you know, in a relationship. Yeah. And again, he points to the reality of that being on a greater level, our desires being met in Jesus. And it's interesting to one, think about us desiring him, you know, like us finding great satisfaction in him, but also flipping that and hearing that from Jesus, that he delights in us, that he actually wants to be with us. And he not only came to die for us, but then sent his own spirit to indwell us so that we could be united to him. And he finds great satisfaction in having a bride for himself. And so he just says, again, the, the delight of this type of relationship is pointing to the greater satisfaction and delight that Jesus and us have together. Yeah, that's good. That's helpful. Another one, he talks about distance. And maybe these last two, I won't read all the different verses. But in chapter three, uh, the woman can't find the man and feels like there's this a disconnect and she doesn't know where he is and she feels in the dark and she's trying to find him. And then he comes and he finds her. And he talked about, which this one is interesting, He talks about how that distance that we feel with God, you know, we've gone through seasons where you're like, I just don't feel like connected to him. And you feel this kind of like, man, what is going on? I feel disconnected. I don't feel close to him. And we feel that separation. He actually argues that that can be used by God to build a greater desire and love for him out of the distance, kind of the general theme of, uh, you know, distance makes the heart grow fonder. Like a similar concept, he says, of, those times of distance God uses so that he can draw you back in and your affection for him, which is what happens to this woman. Once she realizes that they're apart, her desire for him grows. And he equates that to how those seasons often can be used for good in our lives where that distance creates a greater longing for Jesus. So are you saying he allows that distance so that you grow I'm just giving what the author said. But I'm like, that feels like heretical. Right? Like, if he's always with us? Wait, why does that feel wrong? He is always with us, but experientially, we don't always Ex- feel that, right? right? So yeah. we we feel, we know the Spirit, in Ephesians 1, we see the Spirit seals us. Galatians 2, he has sent his Spirit inside of us. And so we know that we have the Spirit of God. However, we don't always experience that. Mm-hmm. And we do have moments where we feel distance. And that can be for a variety of reasons. And he doesn't so much get into the why that's happening as much as the experience most people have. And he says, God uses that, I think is his term. I'd have to go look if he specifically argues that God is causing that. Um, I mean, I guess if we believe God is sovereign, you know, you can argue over the terms. But at the very least, he's using those seasons to build a desire out of the distance Mm -hmm. we feel. Yeah, no, that's good. I don't know. For when you just first said that, I was like, wait. I know. I think we've talked about that before, too, the distance. and, And it's hard, but on a base level, we can trust that God is doing something in that. However, the cause of that is and why he's doing something in that to draw us in. Uh, last example I'll give, he has a chapter on uh, our death, and the man and woman in the Song of Songs talks about how they want their love to surpass death and go past their life here, and there's imagery in different ways, um, but he points to the fact that that is ultimately what we have in Jesus, that his love for us and our union with him 
is surpassing death. It's overcome death itself, and that it has this forever type of love. You know, there's cultural songs that talk about that. We're going to love each other forever. That is, love is greater than anything. That's actually true in Jesus, and it's more than even in a marriage or friendship that just feels like, man, this relationship, we wish this goes forever. It's actually true for our relationship Mm -hmm. with Jesus. Yeah, which as you're saying that, we don't normally think about Jesus that way or our eternity with him that way. And so, yeah, it does paint a bigger picture of his love and our relationship with him and how deep that actually should be. And uh, when you get to the end of the Bible in Revelation, in chapter 19, it talks about how when all things are done, Jesus comes back, rids the world of evil, the new creation's coming. The first thing that happens is a marriage supper, it says. And it's the groom is finally now given his bride in full. And so even the image at the end, uh, Revelation 21 says this too, that on that last day, it's the bride who now is given to Jesus. And so the final imagery we're given there is not of just a king and his citizens. It's a groom who now is receiving his bride on the wedding day and they get to celebrate life forever together. And so again, we don't always think about that stuff. I I don't totally know why. I think that's a little bit of a personality. We're all drawn to certain aspects of Jesus. We can maybe be taught or we focus on he's Lord or he's savior or he's friend or he's healer or he's teacher. All those things are true. At the very least, we have to add in that he is our groom. He is the one who loves us. And it's not just a sacrificial love as a savior, which is true. He came to die to give himself as a sacrificial lamb so that other people can receive life in God. That's true as a savior. And he's a groom who loved his bride so much that he would come and do whatever it takes so that that bride could be gathered up to him. And he loves her. And uh, Ephesians 5 before it just makes the connection, he talks about what Christ does. He cleanses us. He washes us. He loves us as his people. And that's true broadly of the church. And if you're within the church, that means that's true of you. Okay. The thing that keeps going around in my head is what about the people that have struggled to just trust others and feel loved by others? How do you encourage them when they're reading this? And also, how do you share this groom imagery with other men or with women who are single and want that on this side of eternity? How do you communicate that well to those people? Yeah, I think the first point of that, of people that struggle to trust, I would say we we fight that with showing who Jesus is. He is the one who not only loves, but is faithful, all of that stuff, just like we would for somebody who really struggles with seeing God as a father or um, God wanting us forever or, or anything, any of those misconceptions we have about God, which we all have many, you just approach that of like, okay, so our father hurt us. So we try to see who is God really as mm-hmm. father. And we prayerfully try to reorient that view. Same thing. If you have a hard time trusting someone or maybe your spouse was unfaithful, or maybe you've seen that in your family or whatever, then I think it's good to be aware of that. That doesn't make it less true. So then we take, well, who is Jesus actually? And how is he not like that person that failed you? And why can we trust him? And you do that work. There's no quick fix to that. Just like there's no quick fix to seeing God as your father. It's just helpful to be aware of it so that you can engage. And the best way 
to learn to trust him is to know him more. And so we read the gospels and we see who he is. We try to pray and try to abide in him. And over time, I think that trust will build as you find him faithful and trustworthy. The other thing on the point of, you know, how does this work with men who feel uncomfortable? Um, The short answer is, it's true, and so men kind of have to get over their uncomfortability. I mean, just to just to be honest, that's how I felt. It's like, well, this is weird to think about Jesus loving my soul intimately, and that's okay. It's good to be aware of that too. And if it's true, then we have to work to get rid of our uncomfortability with vulnerability. I mean, that's part of the reason why men don't have great friendships is we don't feel comfortable being that vulnerable with other men. So, of course, that's going to map onto our relationship with Jesus. And so we have to be okay knowing that that's partially because of stuff in my past, my own uncomfortability. The language obviously is tough, but there's other language in the Bible of that's hard for us to understand. You know, God calls his people adulterers. And like, we have to understand that that's an image that captures something in us. He talks about, Paul talks about adoption, that all of us are adopted as sons, well, how do women take that? Is that is the language given hmm. because it means something and it's an image for us being heirs and we get everything. And it's actually beautiful in that time period for women who didn't have rights to inheritance to be called. Like you are like a firstborn son, but that's weird because you're not a son, you're yeah, a daughter, that's but that's the imagery given. So too here, hmm. it's weird that we're called the bride because I'm not a woman, I'm a man, but the image of that intimacy is what they're getting at when they use that language. So just like any of those other ones, you have to find the point and then fit in. We have to find the point is that Jesus does love me intimately and he loves my soul and he wants me to be clean and unified to him. And while that can make me uncomfortable, I have to somewhat get over that. Yeah, I think that's really good. And kind of humbling on all accounts, right? Like we see the imagery of son and talking to men throughout the Bible, but it's not like I just discount that because I'm a woman. It's still true, yeah. Yeah. And the last one I would say for someone, maybe a young woman who you said desires marriage, obviously I think that's a great desire to have. And I think for sure some of Song of Songs or other place in the scripture point to the beauty of marriage and that's good to desire that. But just like I would say to a married couple that finding your full satisfaction in that relationship is damaging. Whether you're single and desire that or whether you're married and are living in this is my whole hope and life in this person or this marriage, both of those are destructive. So I think what this is showing us is the beauty of the satisfaction of Jesus for eternity because the gospels tell us that you actually won't still be married to that person in eternity, which that I don't know if that's controversial or not, but that's what the scriptures say. So you're not going to be married to that person in eternity. So that relationship does have an end date on it, whether you're longing for it or living in it. The thing that doesn't is your unity to Jesus and his relationship with you. And so I think that's where what's seen as beautiful in the Song of Songs is also still pointing us to something more beautiful, which is what Paul says, even the best marriage, it's still a picture. It's still only like the appetizer to the greater marriage that is to come. And so it's good to long for marriage. If that's a desire of your heart, you pray for that, that's great. Um, But also still recognize you have something better than that if you have Christ. And if you get the picture of that in this life, that's amazing. And if not, you have what's better anyway. 
Thank you for joining us today. The goal of the Christian Formation Podcast is to live all of life with the presence of God, and we do this through conversations about theology, culture, and stories. Please like this, rate it, review it, share it so that it can get out to more people. If you have any questions, email us at formation at providenceomaha.org. We'll see you next week.